Hello and welcome to Saskatchewan Matters from Martin Charlton Communications. This is episode 9 of the most influential weekly podcast to come out of the Saskatchewan business community. On each episode, Paul Martin, business commentator and the chair of Martin Charlton Communications, brings us the stories behind the headlines and explains why each story matters to you. Paul has two key takeaways from this episode. Ottawa wants to reduce the political influence of Western Canada, and if the federal government's policy was based on taking significant steps for the environment, then why does Quebec get a free pass on its oil imports? It's a really interesting time in the world. We have seen one of the largest environmental conferences take place. COP26 is happening in Glasgow, Scotland. It's fascinating from the point of view that international policy and international agreements come together in an event such as this. There's lots of headlines, but lots of backroom negotiations as well. We also know that from the reporting, there has been the largest delegation of uh, people from the oil and gas industry. But the question really comes, how does this affect us here in Western Canada? Paul, this is a really interesting time to really connect the dots from what's happening in Scotland, what's happening in Ontario, and what's happening here in the West of Canada. Yeah, this conference and just the way the uh, uh, global leaders are conducting themselves at this thing raises a ton of big questions uh, that go well beyond quotas and limits and emitting and this kind of stuff. Uh, this really is about uh, power sharing and uh, and even what is the role of uh, certain organizations in society today? And I, so I'm going to cover all of that waterfront and uh, we'll get to Saskatchewan in a minute, but it just strikes me. And uh, this was raised with me with uh, one of our listeners actually was uh, you talk about the media, Paul, and the role of the media and that they like to champion the voice of the underdog that uh, in a pluralistic society, you have the two sides to every debate, we have this freedom of expression, this right to dissent, and not only the right to hold a contrary opinion, but in fact, the right to espouse that contrary opinion. In other words, to be heard. And that is the role of the media is to take that contrary or dissent, dissenting opinion and amplify it. And so the question that was asked to me was, okay, fair enough. And in a way, environmentalism has been the underdog in all of this against corporate society. And now uh, the majority of the population and the, the group think is on the other side of the equation where uh, the climate deniers are actually in the minority. So the question to me was, why hasn't the media gotten onto what it's actually achieved and now crossed the line or the fence or the side and gone to the other side? Because that other side, the non-supporter uh, of the uh, uh, Con concepts related to climate change uh, are now in the minority position. I thought it was a really fascinating view. And sometimes, uh, you know, we can all take a lesson from this is that sometimes we get the win and we forget that we have actually crossed the line to where we became the majority and the media hasn't figured that out. They got kind of comfortable uh, talking about a certain position. Now they'd have to actually go back and rethink all of that and start to espouse the other side. 
you know, it just made me think about um, how much fun or what great training it would be to be in a law school uh, where students, law students are given an issue. And then you say, today you debate this side, tomorrow you debate the other side. So you have to actually suspend your own personal perspectives on it and just start to put together the facts, the figures and debating points and logic for either side. And lawyers don't care which side, uh, theoretically, they don't care anyway, which side of the argument they're on. And maybe the media needs to be reminded of that, that uh, mainstream media, yeah, you won the day. So guess what? Now cross over to the other side and become your own enemy. Uh, it's, it's time for that to have happened. So uh, that's point one. And, you know, maybe we should be challenging the media about its coverage and all of this, because when you cover someone like Justin Trudeau, you cover, I think, the events more than the news. What he, what did he say when he was at Glasgow? And you report that, and it, because it fits that narrative that you've been so comfortable with for such a long period of time. But in fact, you know, is that the only story that's at play here? And uh, I think that we get shortchanged in our Canadian political debate when we don't acknowledge that there may be more than one single issue at play here, that it's not just about um, getting our emission levels down or something like that. In fact, if you look at how we structured cabinet, put an activist on, I noticed on the weekend, uh, the so-called activist now cabinet minister in charge of the environment used the phrase tar sands to describe uh, the Fort McMurray area and immediately corrected himself to say oil sands. Whoops. And I blamed it on him being a Francophone uh, first and Anglophone second and that command of the language was the issue. But really, uh, if you are suspicious of the motives of the, the Trudeau administration, you say that was not a slip at all. Uh, that was, or, or at best, maybe a Freudian slip is that this really is the way he thinks. So, you look at that, and then you ask yourself the question, uh, is this really the only story at play, that Canada is a relatively small country in the world, uh, you know, we're taking what would appear to be a fairly bold position or a strong position, perhaps trying to hit above our weight, and and is that the only play, uh, only story that's at play here? And, and the other thing that struck me was we should probably remember that if the federal government's ambition as exhibited in particular by the new environment minister to squelch Western Canada's oil and fossil fuel production, then what is the upshot of that? Well, it then means that the energy exporter, leading exporter of energy in Canada becomes Quebec and that with their hydro. And, uh, you know, there's some stories in the last week or two about uh, the potential for selling those, uh, uh, carbon credits as well for uh, uh, hydropower, the electricity that's uh, uh, exported. So you have, in effect, over the last 30 or 40 years, uh, going back to the OPEC oil crisis in the early 70s, when the price of oil started to shoot up, Western Canada's uh, economic clout in Canada started to rise. And with that comes political clout. And if you take the long term of it, uh, those who hold the view that the Laurentian system or the uh, those in the Golden Triangle of Toronto, Ottawa, Montreal resent that kind of shift from the power base of uh, Central Canada, Upper and Lower Canada, as it used to be known, uh, to Western Canada, it doesn't fit. And those who are about separation in the West or inclined that way would remind 
people. This is where the Buffalo movement came from. Uh, Buffalo was the original name of what Saskatchewan and Alberta were supposed to be when they entered Confederation in 1905. Then Laurier, who was a Quebec-based prime minister at the time, felt that uh, Saskatchewan in particular was in ascension because we were seeing European farmers move over here with the promise of, of free land or land basically for free, uh, that the West was starting to grow. So they arbitrarily stuck a boundary between Alberta and Saskatchewan. They divided Buffalo and they just used the meridian. And uh, so, you know, that was uh, the creation of Alberta and Saskatchewan really to divide power. And so for 120 years, we've been fighting this battle. Well, now you see, if you were to kill or squelch the Western Canadian uh, fossil fuel industry, that by de-, de facto, by result, is going to put Quebec back into ascension. So it raises uh, the central Canadian power base. And interestingly, we just had an uh, electoral reform report come out that uh, would have removed a seat from Quebec and added four in Alberta. And uh, obviously, Quebecers were not thrilled to see that sort of thing. So what we're starting to see here is really a debate that goes on more around the future of Canada and what its construct looks like, and really about the regionalism of Canada, than while we paint it as one that's about environmentalism. And, uh, you know, the cynics could not help but notice that, you know, is Justin Trudeau really a grand environmentalist, or is this just part of a grander plot even to uh, uh, shift the power back to central Canada where, damn it, that's where it belongs, always has belonged, and it should belong. And so this is a debate that I think needs to happen. I'm not seeing it being discussed in that context. And maybe that goes back to the comment we had right at the beginning of this program or this conversation today is that Where's the media in all of this? Has it become so ensconced in its traditional view that our job is to be the champion of, you know, uh, climate change and these kinds of things that you forget to, that all of a sudden you have now become what you set out to destroy and it's time to walk across the street and step onto the other side of that platform and do like you do in law school, pick up the other side of the story. So with this East-West divide, we're seeing this position that environmentalism and the resource sector may actually be a pawn in a bigger story. But where does the point come in the discussion about the constitution and the structure of Canada when it comes to energy generation, energy import processing, etc. in Quebec? Surely the question. It's a, it's a valid point because, I mean, uh, the constitutional thing aside, I mean, just one other observation is to to add fuel to that point I was trying to make earlier to solidify it a little bit. I mean, when Justin Trudeau stood in front of uh, the world at Glasgow and said, "We're going to put caps on the emissions that are coming out of the oil patch," he basically said, "We're not going to become exporters," but he never once said anything about the oil Canada imports. So on the east side of the country, we import oil from Venezuela, from Saudi Arabia, from Nigeria. Nobody cared about that. You know, wasn't talking about it. So you could make the argument, Justin Trudeau is not about oil. If he was, he would have stopped those tankers from rolling in. He is about, I want Quebec to rise in ascension and Western Canada to, uh, you know, be squelched. And that probably is part of the conversation that needs to be added. And, and uh, there is little question in my mind that 
You know, this is a flashpoint that's not being discussed. And at some point, we're probably going to see a, a an articulate leader emerge from Western Canada who's going to be able to espouse these things. We haven't got that right now. I mean, even if you look at the last federal election, I frankly expected more uh, support for Maverick and some of these sort of Western alienation type parties, but they couldn't get their act together. They had no one who spoke on their behalf. And so they were really just a mishmash of nothing. They, uh, but if someone comes along and, and the example I would use is go back to uh, the early seventies when the Parti Québécois was starting to emerge in Quebec. And, you know, we were going through FLQ and, and it was, there was a lot of foment around this. And along comes a personality uh, by the name of René Levesque who solidified it all. He tampered it down so that the crazies that were the FLQ, you know, the terrorist types were, uh, extra, they were pushed out and it became the more moderate, thoughtful people that were stepping up and those who could articulate and, and actually do it with a level of charisma. Somebody in Western Canada is going to emerge like that. And uh, we've had a couple of faces come out before that were leader type people, uh, Stephen Harper, uh, uh, Preston Manning, but you know, you could never ever accuse either of those two of being charismatic. So at some point you're going to have to, you're going to have a leader come forward who's actually going to be able to, you know, garner some excitement and generate some excitement, then the debate will be on. And I'm not sure that, uh, you know, the, 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 the full media will understand this because the power base is also in central Canada. And so the media's power base. And so, you know, what's the upside for them for crossing over to the other side? That's not where they live. So the question then evolves into the story continues. The media covers what's happening as they are at the moment and they're not really delving into these areas but what happens what happens if we get into the position that the policies really do start to kick in to take the production and and the financial uh heartland of western canada down a peg or two to reduce the political influence or the perceived threat of political influence and what happens to the national economy when we actually get to this point of going well you know, we want to settle these people down and just put a lid on it. What happens to the whole of the economy of the whole country? Yeah, it's a good question because, I mean, it, it gets to be a very expensive place to live because the value of the Canadian dollar is going to decline in all of this uh, because it's supported by exports. And, you know, we always talked about Canada being a petrol currency, a petrodollar. But here's the reality. It's the people always talk in a context of, well, why can't those guys in Alberta and Saskatchewan just, you know, start putting up some windmills and some solar panels and, you know, go green? And that's not the point. It wouldn't take a hell of a lot to actually create enough energy or electricity here to power Saskatchewan. We're a pretty small province, relatively speaking. The issue is, of all of the energy that Alberta and Saskatchewan produce, we probably consume, you know, one, two, three percent of it, hardly any. We export it all. That's to the benefit of Canada. Not to, I mean, yes, it comes in through the West, but it is then finds its way into equalization and taxes and that kind of stuff. You know, we're not talking about the greening or just converting Alberta and Saskatchewan from fossil fuel to windmill power. It's where do you make up that 97% that comes, that was export. That's where Canada is going to be undermined. And I don't think the environmentalists want you to talk about that. And frankly, neither does the government. But I mean, it's a huge chunk of the Canadian economy that's at stake here. And real people, I don't think, really get it. They just think, well, 
You know, why can't those guys who produce oil just, you know, convert it over to a windmill? Well, listen, you can't export electricity as easily as you can export oil. You need a market that's very close because you lose a lot of power in a, fo- in a power line. Line loss is significant. So suppose you exported, you know, we converted to 100%, you know, pound for pound, kilowatt for kilowatt, whatever the right BTU energy measurement is and we were the same well, where the hell would we send it north dakota montana i mean they have the same population we do what's quebec got new york it's got new england i mean that's why it works for them interestingly though uh there was a vote uh plebiscite last week in vermont i think or maine to uh shut down uh you know hydro quebec sending a of putting a power line in. And I thought, how ironic is that? You guys said there is, quote, no appetite for energy east in uh, Quebec, and now there's no appetite for Hydro-Quebec in Vermont. I mean, you can wear that a little bit. Quebec, this is exactly the language you were using. Now it's being turned on you. And maybe that's the big picture Canada needs to talk about. We're an energy exporter, and we're being bashed at all sides here. And uh, so whether it's fossil fuel or hydropower, eh, you know, we can debate those. But the issue is, as a prime minister, you should be thinking, hey, you know, we're an energy producer for the world or for a continent, at least. Well, for the world with, with oil. And all of a sudden, we're under attack on all sides. Maybe I should be rethinking this whole thing and I should be more pro-energy than anti-energy. The world of politics is always a fascinating one, especially when it comes into where policy affects long-term vision for areas of potential contention from one side or the other, and the responsibility of the media to tell that story is clear. There is no grey area to that, and let's face it, the story isn't necessarily being told. Paul, thank you so much for this latest episode of Saskatchewan Matters. Uh, I would encourage everyone to go to mynewsroom.ca and sign up for our daily email, which features the Paul Martin commentaries and our latest updates from mynewsroom.ca. Paul, thank you. Not at all. Talk to you next time, Dan. Thank you for taking time to listen to Saskatchewan Matters from Martin Charlton Communications. Do share the insights that power Saskatchewan with friends and colleagues. Saskatchewan Matters is proud to be a part of the Saskatchewan Podcast Network.